Welcome into week five of our series called Stronger, where we're talking about the armor of God and this spiritual war that we all kind of live inside of. You know, we live in a natural place, and so sometimes it's easy to miss that there's also supernatural stuff that's taking place at all times. And so in this particular series, we're dealing with that, we're digging into that, and we're talking about how we can equip ourselves for what's happening around us and how we can win spiritual battles. And here's the big idea. We win our spiritual battles by using the tools that God has given us to overcome the enemy. I mean, no, you gotta have the right tool to get the right job done. A few weeks ago, I was trying to uh, change out a ball, a trailer hitch ball, because apparently we, myself and some others, we were pulling these trailers with the ball that was a hair too small, and I didn't know it. So I had a two inch, but we needed a two and five sixteenths. And so Craig says, Pastor Nate, I'm not allowing you to pull a trailer again until you get the correct size. Something's gonna go bad. I said, okay, thank you, Craig, for looking out for me. So I'm gonna try to get this done. So I had this old tongue and it had a two inch ball. And man, I went, I, I mean, I'm just wrestling and fighting with this thing. I got my father, he's trying to fight it. We're trying to get this thing done. We, no, none of us could get this thing off. And I went and bought some tools. I thought, well, maybe I need bigger tools. I went, I still couldn't get it off. And finally, I run into a guy who runs a trucking company here in Liberty Hill. He sees me uh, buying more tools, and he had seen me buying some others, I think. He's like, hey, you're dealing with the problem. You're spending a lot of money here trying just to, you want, you want some help with that? I said, yeah, I would love some help with that. He said, follow me to my shop. And so we go into the shop, and one of his tools was a big old guy, about six eight, and looked about twice as wide as me. And he said, "I got the tools for the job." I said, "I could see that." And uh, so he took that tongue and ball. The guy took it back, and in about sixty seconds, he came back. He had the old one off, the new one on. I don't even know what magic he did, but what I do know is somewhere back in that mysterious building, he had the right tool for the job. So he was able to get it done. And we have to kind of take that to heart because we're facing things that. We can't really see all the time, and we don't fully understand how it's all working, but God tells us about it. He gives us his word to help us understand, and Paul does a great job in Ephesians 6 of walking through kind of how to armor up for what we are facing. So in week one, we talked about the landscape that we're in. We talked about the, the enemy and what this stuff looks like. In week two, we dug a little deeper. We got into the belt of truth, and we talked about the word of God, how it is the foundation. It is absolute truth. Everything else builds on that. In week three, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness and how Christ's righteousness is our righteousness. Last week, we talked about the shoes that were made for the gospel of peace, and we learned that peace is something we have to put on, we have to keep on, and that making peace is actually an action, right? Now, today, we're moving into the fourth piece of armor, and it's the shield of faith. If you're with me, say faith. faith. Come on, the shield of faith. Ephesians 6, as you can see on the screen, says this. Stand, therefore, with the belt of truth around your waist, righteousness, like armor on your chest, feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. And in every situation, come on, talk to me, every Every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Today, we're going to learn how to take up the shield of faith. I was talking to our serve team earlier, what in my notes, but it's worth just talking about because whenever you start to think about the idea of faith, you always get two choices that immediately come to mind because there is something supernatural that's happening. So we just start to think about faith. The enemy's going to come and remind you of a time when your faith failed. At least you think it did. Or you had faith in something, in somebody, maybe even in God, and it didn't turn out the way you were hoping that it would. It didn't turn out the way that you were praying that it would. But there's another choice. If you've been following Jesus for very long at all and have exercised your faith, God has probably come through for you in so many ways that you forgot him. 
By the way, when miracles happen in your life, God prevails, wisdom comes, doors open, you should write that stuff down and go back to it and remind yourself of when God showed up. And so we always have a choice to make. That choice is always there. If we're gonna remember the time when we think our faith failed or if we're gonna focus on the time when faith prevailed. And I'm gonna encourage you, take door number two. It'll help build your faith. Now, when we look at this verse right here, the first thing I notice is that Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Notice what he doesn't say. Just drag it around. Oh, this thing's so heavy. I don't know what to do with it. Drag around the shield of faith. Maybe when I see the arrows coming, I can get it up fast enough to block it. No, he doesn't say that. Matter of fact, he doesn't even say to wear it like he did the other stuff. You're not wearing this shield of faith like, oh, it's well, it's like a watch on my arm. You know, it's just there. If I need it, I could just, no. He tells you, take this thing up. This is something that we have to do. You have to strap it on or it won't do you any good, right? This is like the difference between, you know, if you're on a security detail and you got your, you got your, your piece, you got your gun locked in the car while you're out working or you have it on you, you have taken it up. It's of no use to you if it's laying somewhere else. And I have to tell you, if you get up and leave the house in the morning without taking up the shield of faith, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And so sometimes, many times you're like, man, why am I getting hit with all these flaming arrows? Stuff's always happening. Did you take up the shield of faith before you left the house that morning? Maybe before you got out of bed. God, you are my shield. You are my strength. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. You begin to pray the word like we taught a week or two ago. This is part of how we take on the shield of faith. And Paul says, in every situation. So what situation do you leave it at home? It's not a trick question. The answer is none. In every situation, we take up the shield of faith. Now, of course, as we've talked about in this series, Paul, who's writing this from prison, by the way, has his Roman guards that are looking over him, and he's looking at them. He's looking at what they're wearing. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins to understand how the armor that they wear correlates to the armor of God. And so with that, I want to talk to you first, as we've been doing every week, give you a little background, some characteristics of the Roman shield. So let's understand what Paul was looking at and what he understood before he writes to us about the shield of faith. First of all, the Roman shield, it was like this giant medieval-looking before medieval, I know, I have my history straight. But it's this giant metal piece of seven layers that they did have to take up. And it was very large. It was slightly curved, had a rectangular feature to it, but it had a large metal knob called the boss. And that's how they would take that thing up and lock it in to the belt. It was impressive because of its sheer size. It was three and a half feet tall and almost three feet wide. Three and a half feet tall, three feet wide. You can protect a lot of body with that size shield. A couple of y'all, you can protect your whole body with it. Come on, somebody. Where are you at, Beth? I love you. Let's go. It had a, again, it had a slight curve so that it would deflect those arrows when they would come. It would deflect the blows and knock the opponents backwards. It would, it would, it had, again, it had layers and layers. And so the strength wasn't just from the size. It wasn't just from the weight, but it had multiple layers. So even if something got through the first one or two, it had more to get through. And these arrows were a huge threat. And this was really the only line of defense against these arrows. But guess what? It got even more powerful and it got more defensive when the soldiers would bring them together and lock shields. We've talked about this before, but when they would lock shields, they'd create this tortoise shell of connected shields, and basically, no arrows are getting through that now. 
Now, if you just got your faith, that's cool. You can block stuff coming at you. But when you can lock your shields with other people, like in this room, you can protect 360 over, beneath, all around, and the arrows aren't getting through. And what we see here, by the way, in that principle is that our faith is really twofold. First of all, it is personal. Every Christian has to have your own faith. Nobody can have faith for you. I don't know if you know that, but you gotta have your own faith. But every Christian's faith is stronger when it's combined with others. And in that sense, your faith isn't impersonal, right? It's, it's, it, my faith is for you and your faith is for me. And when we put those things together, we have more strength. Here's another thing about faith itself. You just cannot read the Bible and not deal with the concept of faith. You see it all over the place, right? It is faith that kept Abraham on his road to destiny. In fact, the Bible says that Abraham's faith was accounted to him as righteousness. That's some strong faith. Because of his faith, God said, I'm gonna make covenant with you because your faith is so strong. It was faith that kept Noah building an ark for 100 years while it's not raining and he's telling everyone it's gonna rain so bad it's gonna flood. Faith kept him going. It was faith that kept Joseph pure and righteous and ready for promotion, for leadership, for everything that God was calling him into. It was his faith that kept him on track to continue to walk into everything that God had planned. And by the way, if you're new here and you missed our series on Joseph a few weeks back or a few months back now, you can get that all on a podcast. And I recommend you listen to it because it will build your faith. And listen, it was faith that kept the apostle Paul on the road even joyful in prison, where he's serving God from a Roman prison cell, which I promise you is worse than any place you've ever been trapped in your life. And yet his faith did not fail. And he continues to write letters and pray and encourage and worship and so many things happen. In fact, it was in this Roman prison, if you heard the message on the weapon of worship, where he would worship and God would show up. An earthquake would actually break chains. All this is happening because Paul is continuing in the faith. It's all the same thing. It is faith. So I want to talk to you today about some biblical fundamentals of faith. Biblical fundamentals of faith. Now, sometimes people have faith in weird stuff. You know, I had a friend in high school that went to a church where there was a, what they would call a faith preacher. And he walked in and he was a 17-year-old football playing high schooler and he walked into this meeting and he had some old ratty shoes on and the man said if you don't have faith for better shoes than that go to somebody else's church it's a true story happened to a friend of mine it's very weird you're right it's weird it's weird sometimes people have faith in some weird stuff but there is a biblical concept of faith that we have to grasp you can't follow Jesus without faith you can't even know Jesus without faith there's so much about faith that is crucial to understand so let's get into it the first one is this first of all faith is believing. And I know that you all know how to believe because you exercise natural faith all of the time. Think about it. You came in here and sat down in this chair today having faith and believed that that thing was going to hold you up. Now, sometimes I get in chairs I don't have so much faith in. I'm not going to name any names or call anybody out, but some of y'all in this place have some chairs that are broken and you still let me sit in it sometimes. You don't even warn me. That's the one. And then something happens. I keep looking for the hidden camera. Like, man, are they, this is going to show up on a screen somewhere, sometime. Me falling back in this chair. Yeah. My friend Trevor had that happen to him the other night. It was funnier when it happened to him than it was when it happened to me. But we all exercise faith when we go and sit into a chair hoping that thing's going to hold us up. A couple of y'all might have got here by golf cart today. Most of you got here by a car. But whatever you drove, you had faith that when you got in the car, the thing was going to start. 
And when you drive, it's going to get you here. Now, some of your cars need a little more faith than others, but that's okay. We have faith that these things are going to work and take us where they're supposed to go. You get in an airplane. I know some people freak out, but most of y'all have faith that the airplane is going to get you from point A to point B safely, right? That's all natural faith, which is based on knowledge, experience, statistical probabilities. All this kind of stuff comes into play. But it's a starting point because you can go, okay, I know how to believe that when I crack that can that says Coke Zero, there's going to be no sugar in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, praise the Lord for Coke Zero. So you can, you, you can have some faith. That's natural faith. But in contrast to your natural faith, biblical faith is not solely based on information gained from your five senses. Although sometimes that can happen. We see healings and we go, whoa, I'm different now. Faith is also supernatural and spiritual. John 4, 24 says this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in natural and only in what you can see. No, in spirit and in truth. We have spirit and truth. These are like two tension poles that hold your faith up. You let go of either one of them, you're in trouble. God is spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. The concept of faith, though, it was a challenge even for some of Jesus' disciples, which I kind of find weird because they walked with him for three years. They're seeing stuff all the time that some of us see maybe once or twice in a lifetime. Anybody ever heard of Doubting Thomas? He's so famous, his name has become a colloquial term. Don't be a Doubting Thomas, right? If your name is Thomas, I'm sorry. Sometimes that stuff just happens that way. Don't be a Doubting Thomas. But why is that? Why is that? Let's look at a story here in John chapter 20. Just read you a few verses, starting in verse 26. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, and here we go. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and look at my hands. Reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is a week after the resurrection. Thomas is still like, I don't know. I don't know if he really, I don't know if that was really him. I don't know if he really raised from the dead. I mean, a lot of things could happen. How many of you have that real cynical friend and you're like, I got good news, but I'm not telling them because all they're going to do is pour water on my fire. You know what I'm saying? That was Thomas. They're trying to tell him and he's like, I don't know. I don't believe. I'm not sure if I believe that. But Jesus in his mercy walks through a locked door, shows up, which should have been sign enough. I'd be like, okay, I give up. You just showed up in this room. But now he's like, no, let's, let's go a step further. Put your hand into the, put your finger into the hole in my hands. Put your hand into the hole in my side. Jesus, being vulnerable, by the way, he didn't do that for everybody. This is a little side lesson for you, but remember this. Even Jesus, he didn't show everybody the wounds closest to his heart. Only those behind closed doors did he actually open his cloak and say, look right here. Everybody else saw him walking around. That was good, right? But so many people think that you've got to show everybody all your woundedness. No, you don't. Get off social media and everybody doesn't need to know. But you do need to have a few people that behind closed doors you can go, okay, now look at this hole in my side. That wasn't in my notes. That's for free for somebody in the room. But here's Thomas. He's doubting. He's doubting. And then Jesus comes and says, let me help you. But watch what he says at the end. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. I don't know if you know this, but he's talking about you and me. We weren't there in that room. We weren't there at that tomb, but we believe, and we are blessed for it. Faith is believing in God, not just what you see, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I wish you would let that one verse just sink in. If we were at student night, this would be your memory verse. We're making our students memorize the Bible, by the way. If your kid's not doing that, ask them, are you doing your memory verse? Because if they get it, then they're going to get a little coupon, and that coupon's going to go into a raffle box, and then they can win something cool in a few weeks. But anyway, this would be a memory verse. If I could just urge you, write one down and remember it this week, memorize this. Because what do we do? We always focus on what we can see. But can't you see this? It's right here. I know, but you got to believe. I can't believe what I can't see. How many times? How many times? Whether you have this battle inside your own mind or with somebody else, we do the literal opposite of this. Okay, I got to keep moving. Number two, faith pleases God. Hebrews eleven six. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him couple things I find interesting about here. First of all, it's impossible to please God without faith. No kidding, because you can't believe in God without faith. That part I kind of get. Seems a little obvious. But then he goes on to say, you have to believe that God exists. And, oh, there's one more thing. That he rewards those who seek him. Another version says, diligently seek him. It's important to believe that God actually has a reward for you when you pursue him. That's a key factor in what it means to please God. Think about that. If you're a good parent and you have a good thing for your kid, you want your kid to believe that, they, that you have a reward for them when they're good. My son Luke had a birthday on Thursday. He knew he, knew he had some stuff coming, right? He knows. He knows his dad. He knows his dad's going to give him a few things. He's going to bless him with a few things. He's going to take him to do a few things because I'm a good father to him, and we have a good father, and he wants us. Part of believing in who he is is believing that he is who he tells us he is, and he is good. And he will reward those who seek him. Again, parents understand this. I'm going to keep moving. Number three, faith is tangible. Faith is tangible. Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance. Say substance. Substance. That means there's something to it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance. That means it's not totally blind. It's not totally blind. In fact, Paul tells us about this in Romans 1. Look at this. Romans 1.20 says this. For his invisible attributes, okay, we can't see things that are invisible. That is his eternal power and divine nature. You can't see that part. His eternal power, his divine nature can't be seen with human eyes. But then he goes on to say, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood that what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. This right here is why I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because an atheist will look at a material world and actually believe that it all came from nowhere, from some random place. Talk about faith. That is extreme faith, ladies and gentlemen. To look at a tree, to look at the sky, to look at the stars, to look at your beautiful spouse or your children and go, I think that just sort of randomly popped into existence, all of it. I don't actually have that kind of faith. That's some wild faith. That's some extreme faith. Now, again, an atheist would tell us you have to abandon reason to believe in a God you can't see. But I would say you have to abandon reason to look at the sun, the moon, the stars, and the trees and think all of that came from nowhere. Talk about abandoning reason. And if you're a skeptic or a doubter in here today, I'd love to talk with you about this. But I would really like to hear an explanation how something came from nothing. I've listened to many of them. I've read the books. I watch them on YouTube. I was having a conversation with my friend RC about when you slow down and listen to so many heretics, but sometimes you got to know what people who don't believe, believe. Everybody believes something. There's really no such thing as atheists. It's just that 
their belief is in something that they don't believe in. Anyway, it gets a little convoluted. But here's the deal. It's pretty reasonable to look at the material world with so much, with so much, so much intentionality and clear design and go, there must be a designer. Now, who that is and where that came from, that's a second conversation that we can have. But it takes an extreme amount of faith to look at the material world. And that's why Paul says, hey, it's clearly seen through creation of the world. If you think there's no God, you're without excuse. All you have to do is look around. Here's a few thoughts that will help you as it relates to faith and reason. First of all, reason will help keep your faith grounded. It will. But faith will keep your reason humble. And the last thing is that faith is reasonable. It is reasonable. It is to look around and say, God must have made this. When we talk about faith, when we talk about faith, we have to be careful, though, because there's a, there's a kind of faith conversation that the world has, and there's a kind of faith conversation that the Bible has. Like, how many remember the book, The Secret? Did any of you all fall for that? You don't have to raise your hand. but Just simply exercising brain willpower, it does do something, but it's not the kind of faith that we're talking about here. We're talking about biblical faith. And this is why, this is why when you start to exercise faith, you have to stay with the belt of truth first. You have to ground your faith in the word of God. You can't just have faith in faith. You have to have faith in God. And those are two very different things. Very different things. Faith in faith doesn't work. Only faith in God will. Look at Matthew 6, 7. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. What does that sound like? All these like confessions, say all these things to yourself. Now, there's a place for that. I have daily affirmations that I say, but you know where they come from? God's word. It's true. I can show them to you, share them with you if you want to see them. Daily affirmations. But they come from God's word about who I am, about who you are, about who we are, who my family is, according to God's word. But you can't just say things and expect that to produce movement from God. Go on down to, to, to Mark eleven twenty two. 22. Jesus replied to them, have faith in who? Have faith in God. That's the context for this next verse that people Take out of context all the time. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown in the sea, and he does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Listen, I've heard a lot of non-Christians quote this verse to say it's all just about what you believe, but they miss verse 22. Have faith in God. You can't just have faith in faith. You can't just have faith in yourself. Believe in yourself. The rest is up to you. It's not in the Bible. All right, number four. Faith is built, just like the seven layers of the Roman shield, your faith is built, and layers take time. Layers take time to build. If it says it's impossible to please God without faith, how do you get there? Let's look at, look at two kinds of faith, two kinds of faith, which are part of the base layer here to your shield of faith. First of all, number one is saving faith, saving faith. If you got a workbook or you're in your app, you can write that down, saving faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. See, saving faith starts when you open your heart to Jesus, and you decide and declare who he is, your faith starts. It also starts when you realize that God is greater than you. That simple act of humility will now open you up to more faith in God. It's not of you. It's not from yourself. Look at Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. 
Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Every one of us are given a measure of faith, but he's warning, hey, hey, but remember, this is a gift from God. Stop thinking it's all about you. When stuff starts going, man, we are the worst at this. We exercise faith, we pray, we fast, then God starts to show up and we start going, man, look what I did. We start talking to people about our stuff and we leave out all the prayer and fasting and begging and asking other people to join with us in prayer. Woo, I got a new job. Yeah, they said I was the number one candidate. They didn't even have to interview anybody else but me after they got to me. But they didn't tell you about the six people that they've been texting for the last three weeks. Pray for me. I'm desperate. I need God to move. So Paul's saying, watch out. Don't think more highly of yourself. Humble yourself. Remember, this all comes from God. He's distributing your faith. He's distributing your freedom. He's distributing into your finances. God's the one. God's the one, God's the one, God's the one. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that he might lift you up. The second kind of faith is overcoming faith. Overcoming faith, so there's saving faith, that's where we get started. But then there's overcoming faith. Did you know that you were called to be an overcomer? Not just to, I'm saved and I got my fire insurance, but to be an overcomer. This is what we're called to be. If our faith is grounded in Christ, we can overcome because he did. Because he did. That's important too. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to just be like Jesus. That's cool. But remember, you can only be like Jesus because Jesus was Jesus. Because he did. John 16, 33, I've told you these things that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Just let that one sit for a second. You will have suffering in this world. Not every consequence, by the way, is a demonic attack. You will have suffering in this world. Sometimes you'll have suffering because there is something supernatural and dark going on. It's affecting you and your family and your life. But Jesus says, be courageous. I have conquered the world or I have overcome the world. And then Paul admonishes us in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now here's a question for you, people of God, with saving faith. Why would Paul say, don't be overcome by evil? Because you can be overcome by evil. I think this is why we, we are seeing, we are seeing a great falling away. <clears throat> we are seeing people who used to be Bible-believing, Orthodox Christians who are being overcome by evil, oftentimes in the name of kindness and acceptance and niceness, and there's still a falling away from what is true to that which is ultimately evil, even if it feels good. But Paul's saying, hey, 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 do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Who gets to define good? Belt of truth. Your Bible defines what is good. That's where we start. We build from there, right? If something is in conflict with God's word, it's not good. I don't care how good someone tells you it is. If it's in conflict with God's word, God's will, God's ways, God's design, his best for your life, it's not good. So how do we overcome evil? 1 John 5, 4. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is our victory that has conquered the world. Our, what does it say? Faith. So it's impossible to please God without faith. And it's impossible to overcome the world without faith. How many know faith's a little bit important? And you need to take it up. You need to take it up every day. Look at this verse backwards. Basically what it says is, it's your faith that gives you the victory to overcome the world. It's your faith that gives you the victory to overcome the world. Now you're, you're going, well, 
how does this work though? Because Jesus isn't with me right now and I think he's in heaven. Some of this faith is understanding how things work and then exercising it in the midst of something that you can't see. It's kind of like this. If I wanted to, I could buy a house in New Jersey. Now I don't know why. If there's anybody here from New Jersey, you're here for a reason. But if I wanted to, I could buy a house in New Jersey and I could buy it without seeing it, right? I mean, I could contact Eric, hey, let's get a mortgage going. Find me a realtor up there. Let's make this thing happen. I wanna buy an investment property or whatever. And I could buy that thing and I could never have gone to the state of New Jersey and I could own a deed to a house in New Jersey. Faith is knowing that when I get to New Jersey and I walk up to my house, it's my house because I got the paperwork to prove it. This is how faith works. Your Bible is your paperwork to the life that God has called you to live, to who he's called you to be. And you may not always see it in the natural, but oh, you can see it in the spirit and you can see it in the word. This is how we exercise it. Sometimes we think that we don't have faith because things don't happen the way we wish they would. Look at Romans 8:28. You have to know this. We know that all things, all things, say all, all things work together for the good of those who, what does it say? Love God who are called according to his purpose. Listen, God's never late. <laughs> He's rarely early, right? But he is working all things for good. But remember, who defines good? He does. This is why sometimes our faith fails because we come up with our own list of, oh, this would be good. This would be good if all of this would happen. That would be good. And God's going, that would not be good for you. Some of you are going, man, it would be good if I could win a million in the lottery. And he's going, well, you can't steward the 50,000 I've already given you. It would not be good for you. You think it would be good for you. I'm just, this is just an example. Sometimes what we think we need that is, we think is good is ultimately not good for us. So we have to let God be the definer of good. And if you can't get that right, your faith will be destroyed, like overnight. If you're the final arbiter on what's good and not, and then you're expecting God to come through the way you want him to come through every time. And when he doesn't, you go, well, you're just not a good God. Your faith is in jeopardy, my friend. You have to let God define what is good. Faith is built in us over time. Okay, I got a couple more. We're gonna move fast. Next, we have to understand that faith is heard. Faith is heard. Did you know in Hebrew, there's not a separate word for hearing and obey. To say we heard you means we're gonna obey and do what you said. It's all one word. Faith is heard. So the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17 that faith comes from hearing, right? Hearing what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Jesus Christ. This is how faith is done. This is why you have to keep talking about it. You have to tell people because the gospel, when you speak it, is the power of God. And when faith is heard, it can actually affect change inside of somebody. Faith must be heard. We must talk about it. There's a reason that every tyrant in history tells Christians to shut up. That is a demonic power saying, do not speak the truth. Because once the truth is heard, it has the power to change people. You cannot go to North Korea and walk around and talk about Jesus. You talk about a lot of things. You cannot do it. Every tyrant in the world wants to shut up Christians because the enemy knows that when the gospel is preached, that faith is heard. Romans 12, 11 tells us why talking about our faith is so important. Look what it says. There is two parts to this. They conquered him, speaking of the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. 
for they did not love their lives to the point of death, which by the way is ultimate faith. Loving and trusting Jesus more than you love your own life. I will speak if I must speak. I will go if I must go. So I tell people the safest place you can be is right in the center of God's will. Putting your trust in him. But when faith is heard, it still has to be received. Faith is received. It's something that's tangible that has to be received. And if you don't actually receive faith, you've got a problem. Look what Jesus says to those who have knowledge but lacked faith. Matthew 23. 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Man, sweet Jesus. Hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You appear beautiful on the outside, but inside you're just full of bones, of the dead, and every kind of impurity. I know some of y'all really want Jesus to be nicer than he is, but what he is saying here is some of y'all clean up real nice, but inside of you is all death and no faith. And he's saying this to the religious leaders. So this makes me go, Lord, let this not be me. Clean me up on the inside. We'll deal with the outside later. I know I need a haircut. It's fine. I'm married to a stylist. She'll get to me when she can. I'm worried about the inside. In the same way, on the inside, you seem righteous to people. Excuse me, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, when God actually works through faith and you receive it, he works on the inside first and then it works its way out. Beth, we should bring back that old song from the inside out. That's a good song. Talks about how it really works. Talks about how it really works. So how do we get what we hear from God, believe in it? How do we do that? God speaking, oh, I wanna believe it. I've already said it. I've said it many times in this series. You must humble yourself before God in order to be able to receive faith. If your will, your desires, what you want is bigger than your belief and faith in God, you can't actually receive it. You don't have room for it. You don't have room for it. It's all filled up in here. Remember what James 4, 6 teaches us. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, he says, he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Ultimately, received faith it's still a function of grace that you can't receive until you humble yourself before the Lord. Now, I want to give you the last fundamental of faith and then I'm done. I think it's one of the most powerful aspects of faith. And that's this, that faith is multiplied. Faith is multiplied. Look at Acts 2, 42 through 44. They devoted themselves. How many know what it means to be devoted? Let me just see your hand if you know what it means. You know what it means to be devoted. All right, I won't explain that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. How many know there is a multiplying effect when we connect our faith with someone else's faith? This is why the local church is so important. This is why we need each other. It's what I talked about earlier with the Roman shields. Yeah, you can, you can block what's maybe coming at you with your shield, but when you lock those things in all around you, you get 360 degree protection and that only happens, people, please hear me, that only happens when you lock shields with other believers and you stay locked. I don't mean you bump into them occasionally. I mean you lock in. This is part of how you protect your mind, your heart, all of it. 
by locking shields together. I want to tell you, there's really only two ways that you can lose, that you can not overcome in the end. One is if you quit. And number two is if you try to do it by yourself. That's the only way. Your shield is stronger when it's connected to others around you. Ephesians 6, 16, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can ex extinguish all, say all, the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let me pray for you as we close. God, I thank you so much. Lord, that you've made a way. You tell us there's a battle raging. There is an enemy out there. He is blasting us with flaming arrows, which all sounds pretty scary. But Lord, I thank you that you have given us a pathway. You've given us a belt of truth so we know what is true and what is not. You've given us your righteousness as a breastplate to cover our most vital organs. You've given us shoes ready for action to go and to make peace and to bring the gospel. Oh, you've given us faith that we can take up and lock in together knowing that when we do, we can extinguish, extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that you have shown us the way, the pathway to righteousness. And I'm so grateful for the church that was your good idea. Oh, we didn't think this up. You started it. We're just trying to continue it in the way that you've called us to. And I'm so thankful, God, for the church, for the people of God, everyone imperfect, including myself, most of all. And yet you've called us to walk together, to interlock our faith, that we might see your church advanced to the point that the gates of hell couldn't prevail against our offensive gospel, moving, making peace. And you've given us one another and your word to protect ourselves, our minds, our bodies, our souls in Christ. While we're still in this moment of prayer and everyone's heads are bowed and eyes closed, I just, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you have never said yes to Jesus, Maybe you have looked around at the trees and went, I don't know, maybe those did come from nowhere. But today, as we talk about, no one is without excuse. That you think here in this moment, and I need to say yes to the person of Jesus. I need to put my life in his hands and not my own. I need all the stuff that, Pastor, you've been talking about. I need it for my life. I need to humble myself to receive faith and surrender. I need Jesus. If that's you today on the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up while no one's looking around and then I wanna pray for us and we'll close. I need Jesus today. One, two, three. Let me see your hand. I'll pray for you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have made a way where there was no way. If everyone would just stand to your feet, if you're a believer in Jesus, Maybe you said the prayer 20 times, 100 times, or you're about to say it for the first time. I just want us, all who believe, to say this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I come to you today confessing that I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. I've tried it my own way, and I'm ready to surrender to your way. So today I declare that you are Lord. You are the King over all kings. You are the maker of heaven and earth. And you are the only one who can save my soul. So today I give that to you. My soul, my body, my mind, 
All that I am is yours. Fill me with your spirit and lead me in the path of righteousness for your glory and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.